In India, queer individuals are often oppressed and looked down upon. They are shamed and are referred to as different or abnormal. We need to understand that they are also human beings. They are also normal and they have not done anything wrong. While it is illegal, conversion therapy is still practiced in many parts of India. It is one of the most inhumane things and a shame if anyone thinks it's even okay to practice it. On this episode of Yours Mentally, we talk about the dangers of conversion therapy in detail. This episode is in conversation with Nishi Ravi, who is a counseling psychologist. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Trigger warning, in this episode, we're going to be talking about sexual assault, rape and violence. So on today's episode where we talk about conversion therapy, Nishi, what is conversion therapy and what is your opinion on conversion therapy? So I consider conversion treatments to be a form of a human's right, human rights violation, honestly, because it's attempting to forcefully change or remove queerness. It's trying to remove homosexuality. It's trying to remove gender nonconformity here. And this is usually done through physical and psychological methods. Mm-hmm. It is unethical, it is immoral, and it is very, very dangerous because it is not a scientific practice. This is a pseudo-scientific practice that really tries to suppress any form of existence that's not fitting into what our society actually calls, you know, normal in its world. It's a very violent form of oppression. And, you know, this is, it's so, it's specifically reserved for, for people that don't follow this very heteronormative social script. Mm-hmm. If there was a cure or a treatment for cishet folk who are struggling with suicidal thoughts or self-harm, it would be taken much more seriously. But queer trauma is, is so invisibilized because of the stigma and the marginalization that is mm-hmm. constantly perpetuated by, by so many people, by these doctors, by your gurus and babas and even academic texts. They all continue to contribute to the deterioration of queer lives. It has pathologized and devalued queer identities to the point where you just assume that someone is cishet unless they're actually telling you otherwise. All these assumptions are grounded in efforts to convert identities to what is socially desirable. Mm -hmm. If you actually want to understand the trauma faced by people who have undergone conversion treatments, try reading up on personal accounts or people have actually faced this distress. One of the recent ones that's coming to mind is of the late Anjana Harish, who passed away from suicide after facing a lot of coercion and abuse due to her sexuality. Right. Also, to add to this, I'd like to say in India, specifically, Mm -hmm. we're always told what to do. We're never, Mm -hmm. like, sort of, you know, I I mean, I'm putting this in quotes, allowed, like, that Mm -hmm. that shouldn't even be a thing, but allowed to do what we want to or feel the way we want to, you know. It's mm. always society that decides this in India. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're not following how the norm is, or if you're not, you know, being normal the way they expect you to, you're always mm-hmm. shamed for it. So that right. kind of sucks away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Nishi, can you tell me what kind of practices do they engage in conversion therapy that results in an individual altering their preferences? Individuals do not alter their preferences. The simple reason that conversion treatment doesn't work is because there's absolutely nothing to be cured or treated or changed. All genders, all sexualities are completely valid and normal. Under the guise of curing individuals, electroconvulsive therapy, exorcism, genital mutilation, surgery, hormone injections, even medication, rape and abuse, you know, are meted out to these to queer folk. These are just some of the physical acts of torture that they have to endure. To further suffering, conversion treatments also include psychological violence, you know, isolating individuals from their loved ones, conversion camps, 
adverse conditioning hypnosis religion gaslighting all these acts are done to physically and emotionally break down an individual psyche just to get them to conform to a very rigid idea of what is considered to be correct behavior in fact i'd even go so far as to say that conversion abuse extends far beyond the horrors of treatment facilities but this goes right down to the grassroots levels it's not just limited to the abuse that's doled out by these unethical professionals but it also includes the kind of conditioning tactics that are employed to brainwash and coerce queer folk to behave in a socially desirable way homophobic and transphobic families impose a lot of conversion cruelty you know they try to erase their erase the queer person's gender identity by forcing them to dress and behave a certain way addressing the individual by you know a name that they might not go by. by they address them by their dead name they don't respect their pronouns they continue to connect gender to body and sex and they just do their best to try and remove the basic agency that every queer person has the basic right to so nishi how commonly is conversion treatment or conversion abuse practiced So even though queer discrimination was declared illegal in the 2017 mental health care act it's still one of the prevalent roots of many of the unique life stressors that are faced by queer folk conversion treatments are unfortunately practiced by a lot of quacks unethical therapists religious figures psychiatrists doctors it's really easy to find someone who subscribes to the view that queerness is wrong and you know they're willing to almost do you a favor by fixing you as if there's something wrong with you or as if you're broken you know there's such a stigma and shame around queerness that people approaching these quacks to fix their children or their siblings they're usually very scared and angry and confused beneath their queer phobia and this increases the demand and desperation for conversion therapy and many quacks are happy to comply and this is so dangerous because they have absolutely no regard for the impact that this will have on the queer person many of these ill informed practices spring from social injustice and structural oppression which kind of give rise to this very black and white view on identity like identity exists only in binaries even completely neutral and apolitical therapists might inadvertently err on the side of conversion in their misguided efforts to be objective you know they might stick to pathologizing and following a very biomedical model of therapy not really accounting for environmental trauma so when the onus and accountability of a failed system is put on a queer person any attempt to successfully ban conversion treatments are going to be flawed because queer people are not accountable for the justice system and as medical professionals as mental health professionals as cis het individuals we all owe queer folks so many reparations and if you believe in shoulds you know people should be heterosexual people should be comfortable with their assigned sex try and sit with why you think this way where these rigid guidelines on supposedly correct behavior started and why you feel so pressured to have a heteroconforming and homogeneous society Right. So despite all its ill effects why is conversion therapy not banned yet and why do people even practice it Well actually so very very recently the Madras High Court banned conversion therapy Justice Anand Venkatesh sought the help of several individuals you know doctors and therapists to psychoeducate himself on the kinds of prejudices that are faced by the queer community mm-hmm. and even more recently he's even challenged you know the the languages the and, and the the kind of vernacular that journalists the journalists use that medical textbooks use to to basically make sure that they are free of bias and prejudice against queer folk this is an incredible step and definitely a milestone in what is 
a very very long marathon of deconstructing some preconceived notions conversion treatment at its roots is fueled by fear and stigma there is so much misguided data so much misinformation that surrounds queerness people think it's a mental or a psychiatric disorder that needs to be fixed and also try to consider the imbalanced power dynamics that surround queerness there is a there is a naturalness that is directly associated with heterosexuality Yeah. society has denied space for so many lived realities it has silenced many diversified and alternative narratives and discourses so banning conversion practices would require us to shake down a very broken social system instead the focus is always placed on the individual suffering within the system as if they are the problems mm-hmm. as if they are the epicenter of of some kind of an illness that is spreading which is absolutely wrong there's been a there's been a lot of debates around oh but the queer person only consented to conversion treatments or they only chose to undergo this mm-hmm. these are completely false and invalid claims mm-hmm. therapists and professionals even argue this point without realizing how harmful this perspective is even though it is protected by this false mask of ethicality and meeting the client's needs there's a lot of shame you know that the people who carry out or support these activities they don't carry the moral responsibility or the personal accountability to make amends after they've caused usually long lasting irreparable harm they don't it's it's a real shame mm-hmm. because and and this urge to dequeer and conform can come from many many external forces and the socio political context it does not indicate informed consent from the queer person instead it's it's pointing to a very rigid heteronormative system that that aims to amplify prejudice and the social disenfranchisement the rejection of queer folk this is all so deeply steep that it's incorrectly understood as a disorder and this internalizes negative biases to not only make people perceive queer folk negatively but also for queer folk to perceive themselves negatively queer people are often forced by their families and support systems to believe that they are wrong or broken this automatically removes their choice in any decision that they make to visit a professional it is no longer an individual choice when it's grounded in so much oppression instead for a queer person that believes that they are making an informed decision to dequeer themselves it's important for the professionals to work towards addressing a lot of the internalized prejudices and fears that surrounds the queer person's identity yeah, i feel like i mean i'm sure you watch a lot of shows as well and i do and even you know observing people around me i feel like in india it's like a lot of people are in this generation above all mm-hmm. if they see something that they haven't like seen before like from their parents time or if they see something that is not something that like if they see something that's unusual to what they have they mm-hmm. feel like it's wrong and mm-hmm. usually when something like that does happen in their life they feel like religion is the way to cure it mm-hmm. so you know you say like a lot of people they call these babas and all like you said you know mm. to to sort of fix their child but they yeah. don't realize that you know this is normal. there's nothing to be fixed yeah yeah absolutely. exactly so yeah. i feel yeah so more than like obviously definitely children do need to be educated about you know all this mm-hmm. but more than that i feel also people from the older generation need to be educated like more than i feel mm-hmm. like the children from the current generation and it's so hard because you know we don't want to paint religion out to be a bad thing religion faith all of these can be enormous sources of strength and support for for many many people and for queer folk to believe that they can't rely on religion and faith because mm. 
their way of living is supposedly going against it it's, yeah. it's absolutely heartbreaking imagine if you can't fall back on something that you put so much faith into because mm-hmm. there's there's such a pervasive belief that you know you will only be accepted or loved if you're a certain way it's mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking nishi can you tell me how the pandemic has impacted the rates of conversion abuse and queer expression the pandemic has made so many responses so so varied aman you know struggling with the lockdown so many aspects of queer lives were disrupted just off the top of my head you know gender affirming surgeries have had to be postponed regular medical checkups for hormone injections have been delayed or even erased access to a safe external therapy space has vanished it has been unimaginably harder on queer folk than straight people i think for so many queer folk the isolation acted like a very warped mirror for them to reflect and question who they are and how they want to present themselves even when nobody is around them so for some people this was a chance to reconnect with their bodies or even connect with their bodies very very differently whether it was physically emotionally or sexually not being around people can have a very liberatory effect the freedom to explore their gender expression and sexuality it is a heavy cross to bear because just as much relief as a queer person might feel without having to bother themselves with others concerns there's also a loneliness of not being seen by others when they're finally starting to see themselves i think through the pandemic clothing has played such a huge factor because a lot of us haven't changed out of pajamas or these other quote unquote neutral forms of clothing in the last year yeah. for individuals who have had to deal with neutrality for all of their lives neutrality is a form of oppression and could even be an act of violence so if you are a cis male and you are unable to get a haircut in the pandemic mm-hmm. you might not feel the same sense of anxiety or panic or discomfort as a trans or non binary individual might feel Mm-hmm. you know because they really want to they want to match their outer appearance with their truest sense of themselves mm-hmm. because for them it's a constant question of mm-hmm. how can they best present themselves so yeah. that their outward appearance can match their inner world mm-hmm. how can they telegraph their gender identity or sexuality or both i think masks also had quite an impact for mm-hmm. some trans folk it was great because they could they could wear lipstick as they wanted as a part of their ideal gender representation without without being judged another point that comes to mind is i, I don't know how many of you might have actually heard of this but it's it's revenge bedtime procrastination yeah so oh, that's a choice to cut back on sleep to make more time for hobbies and entertainment or even just to create a few hours of fulfillment and entertainment but this can really impact our sleep cycles so while this is usually for individuals with you know very high stress jobs and long hours maintaining a heteronormative facade is also a long term high stress job for queer folk and they might attempt, attempt to remedy this by denying themselves sleep just to make time for the activities that allow them to feel most authentic a lot of the time they might only have the space or the privacy or the freedom to to do this at night so this brings me back to my earlier point about them only feeling authentic in isolation so you know the part where you spoke about you know trans people wanting like haircuts i feel like that is really important because just like everyone else you know they do want to look themselves right they do want mm. to dress a certain way look a certain way you know like you said their appearance does matter just like to just like it does to everyone else mm-hmm. so i feel like that's 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 a completely fair point that you raised there you know and the appearance matters so much more because you know to wear gender neutral clothing in terms of pajamas like your baggy shirts and baggy shorts it's absolutely fine for for cis folk who are not going to be questioned to constantly shove neutrality on on a queer person it's it's so unfair to them yeah. because we don't we neutrality is no longer enough yeah. neutrality for someone 
you know who's who's cis het might not be a big deal but mm-hmm. it is a big deal for people when neutrality is a form of violence so statistically conversion therapy has resulted in the increase in suicide rates among the lgbtqia plus community nishi can you tell me why and how does it affect them so negatively okay apart from being very violent and ineffective conversion abuse breaks down a queer individual's way of living and being in trying to erase their identity they are so constantly conditioned to believe that their existence is abnormal that their existence is deviant that their existence is immoral and propagating conversion therapy is is like telling a queer person that you know you're only worthy of respect and kindness if you put on a socially acceptable mask mm-hmm. and when you feel that you're only accepted for a mask that you put on you might feel that you aren't good enough to be loved or accepted for who you are and this can lead to a lot of devaluing of the self this rejection can be so wounding and can lead queer folk to carry enormous burdens of guilt for their orientation a big part of therapy is authenticity right and yeah. encouraging clients to be their truest selves even outside of the therapeutic space but for queer folk we can't just blindly use this tenet because we're ignoring the risks of coming out as well if they choose to disclose their sexual orientation or gender identity and are seen without their mask and are forced into conversion therapy then they're subjected to so many breakdowns they're, sub- they're subjected to be to the disintegration of their social support systems deteriorating relationships sometimes th- they feel like they're the cause of these deteriorating relationships you know they undergo a lot of isolation abuse and torture and if they resist they have to try and build a new social circle if they're dependent on fam- on their families money and homes they might now be cut off from these resources and they have to deal with a lot of social medical and legal erasure just take a moment and think about how traumatic and dehumanizing that is to feel so castigated to feel so emotionally deprived to have to be hyper vigilant all the time because you know they always have to be on guard to maintain their physical and sexual and emotional safety they have to constantly sort of self censor themselves to perform heteronormatively mm-hmm. this is why such a big part of queer affirmative work is to make the space safe enough for queer clients to be themselves and their truest selves conversion abuse is very very damaging and can have a very long lasting impact on mental health and one's entire emotional landscape and this can include you know anxiety depression low self esteem self hate a fear of intimacy almost all of their energy is spent just trying to exist on a survival mode mm-hmm. and this can of course push them to resort to anything that allows them to cope with this pain and this mm-hmm. can include substance use and consumption self harm risky behavior and ultimately you know death by suicide lastly in what ways can queer people seek help if they're struggling with conversion abuse okay immediately self reassurance is very very important all of these life stressors that you face as a queer person these are externally situated and socially located and it is not your fault if you are a minor and you belong to the queer community it can be especially hard because of the obvious age difference and power dynamics between you and the rest of your family so it's important to try and find support of adults and friends i know it is so daunting but forging a meaningful connection in your bonds can help you feel a little bit less alone in this fight queer affirmative therapists will be able to work with you and the specific struggles that you might face with privacy family friends relationships and you know pleasure they will also work with you to help you better explore your identity and help you reaffirm your sense of self and also help you hold on to the sense of authenticity you know which may not always be validated by your family or your friends a therapist can also help create a safety plan with you if necessary you can discuss ways to affirm your identity things like 
experimenting with your gender expression, clothes, finding safe ways of binding or tucking, makeup if you feel comfortable wearing that, even if discreetly, you know, like clear nail polish, tinted lip balms. See if there's a safe and discreet way of wearing clothes that you feel authentic in. Practice signing and writing your chosen name. Look at a photo of yourself in your ideal gender presentation. Watch queer films, consume queer art and literature, find online groups and forums for support, self-grounding exercises, mindfulness in any forms, activities that are safe and feel therapeutic are all helpful. The same thing applies to you if you're an adult with maybe a few more points of consideration. You know, if you're if you're in your mid to late 20s, there's a good chance you will have to circumvent the topic of marriage and dating. Funnily, ironically, the pandemic can provide a protective layer here so that you can get around, you know, any coercion to meet an alliance or to meet a partner right now. Even safe and sexual, you know, even safe sexual exploration is so important to understand your identity better. Consume ethical pornography, read erotica, understand your pleasure without shaming it. If it's more serious, if it's something that feels dangerous, you might have a dangerous environment, you might have to set up a more intensive safety plan and exit strategy, especially if you're in physical or emotional danger. Try speaking to affirming friends or families in your in your city, in your state and in your country. Try to create a lot of safety nets, you know, support groups, NGOs, community welfare groups. Keep your, you know, passport identity documents with you in case you need to exit quickly. I recognize you know, accessing in-person and online therapy is a very big privilege. There are therapists who offer sliding scales and pro bono services specifically for queer and marginalized folk. Even if they can't, you know, take you in as a client immediately, they will help point you to to resources that will be helpful. And, you know, if you do start therapy with a queer affirmative therapist, please ask them about their qualifications, how they work with intersectionality, how will they work with the marginalization and the oppression and the specific stressors that you face? You can also find a bunch of resources online. There are a few online listings that I personally find very useful. I know Varta Trust has a very well-vetted list of queer-friendly services. Marivala Health Initiative has a great list of practitioners and organizations. Uh, Nazaria is a queer feminist group online. Uh, there's Yes, We Exist, The Plain Jar. Thane Queer Collective, Trans Men Collective, Impulse Mumbai, all of these pages that you can follow are also small ways of reaffirming your identity and knowing that you're not entirely alone. Right, that was uh, quite an insightful episode. I feel like a lot to learn for myself. Like, there was a lot of things that you said that I hadn't known and a lot, uh, like the perspective that you gave to certain things, you know, ways that I hadn't thought about of conversion appeal. So, uh, thank you, Nishi, for being with us and educating me and I'm sure for everyone listening on such an important topic. And to everyone who's listening to you, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.